Hi there, friends. This is a new episode of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. It has been a while since I have done one of these episodes. I kind of just took a break and didn't really tell anyone that I was going to do that. I I actually didn't know myself that I was going to take a break from this podcast, but uh, I'm coming back now with some new episodes um, and I wanted to explain a little bit about uh, what happened there with uh, the break from the podcast for those of you who are regular listeners. We did about 70 episodes, which were mostly interviews with uh, with authors, with other pastors, um, professors sometimes, just about spirituality and about how they practice their own spirituality as well and just sort of what they're passionate about. And I really enjoyed doing those those kinds of episodes, um, but felt that I needed to change things up and, uh, and be a little more focused on certain spiritual disciplines um, that had been giving me life and my own life. Um, and so we shifted and we said those first 70 episodes were season one. We moved into season two and did five episodes on examine, uh, a certain prayer practice that I find really, really helpful. We then moved into season three and started an, a season on prayer walking. And I did three episodes and then just kind of stopped. And part of it was it was just the middle of the summer and uh, some of it was just getting busy with other stuff in life. Um, But as I thought about it, I was thinking, you know what, I actually really miss my original format. And I thought I wanted to go in a new direction. And so I experimented with that. And this is one of the lovely things about having my own podcast where I can basically do what I want. Uh, I decided, you know what, that was a great idea to try out going on those practices, that, those focus practices for a bit and, and spend a season focusing on on various ones. Um, but uh but I, I think I want to just go back to the way I did it before. So I'm going to do that uh, and mostly do interviews. But I might just also do some of my own reflections or if a particular uh, message or sermon that I've done has kind of um, been, been something that others have found meaningful, I might uh, share some of that. And so, uh, so today, uh, what we're doing is I'm just going to add... I'm not going to do seasons anymore. (laughs) Basically, what I'm saying is that uh, I'm just going to go back to counting my episodes and uh, and just do them whenever uh, whenever it works. Um, Hopefully, it'll be a regular schedule, but but you never know. Uh, Life sometimes gets in the way. And uh, I'm just going to relax about that. And uh, and just uh, this podcast is kind of a fun thing for me. And I hope that people who listen uh, find it helpful, but also that you have a good time and and enjoy the podcasts. Um, even if we're dealing with sometimes more difficult things or, or harder things about spirituality, I encourage you to, to enjoy it. And today it's going to be a fun one, I promise you. Um, so the first season was 70 episodes, then five, then three. So that's 78. So welcome to episode 79 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. Uh, Really glad you are listening today. And what I'm going to talk about today is actually, it's just me, just me talking today. Uh, So I'm not interviewing anybody. Uh, But I did a sermon uh, earlier, a few weeks ago, and um, in, in my congregation at Prairie Presbyterian Church in Winnipeg, Manitoba in Canada. And, uh, I think it went over really well, and I just really enjoyed the sermon, but we didn't record it. Sometimes we record or or put a live stream on Facebook, and we just didn't record this one. Um, 
And so I wanted to share it with you. And uh, I've also preached this at another congregation uh, recently as well. And um, But I thought, I'm just going to share this in the podcast format uh, because I think it's kind of a neat sermon. And it's something that we should all really be thinking about, I think. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about a pretty familiar story that lots of us will know, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. In particular, the part where the, the serpent comes and talks to Eve and uh, Adam is also listening and uh, convinces them to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And uh, so I'm not going to read that text for you. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's lengthy, but you can go read it. It's Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 24 is what I'm really focusing on. Um, kind of all of uh, most of Genesis chapter 3. And uh, for background, you should probably read Genesis chapter 2 as well. Um, so if you want to go and read that, you can. Um, but, uh, but it starts like this, which I'm going to start right on the, on the first verse here of Genesis 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. Um, is this kind of a, it's kind of a weird sentence actually one of the things that i I wanted to share before i started i shouldn't have just jumped in before i start uh this is a familiar story but it's also really a bizarre story and um so (laughs) we might think we know it uh but then to sort of take well what is the what is the lesson out of this um it's actually quite tricky and uh and it's sort of weird and and even this first verse shows you that it's really kind of a weird weird story if you go back to genesis 1 you find this uh this creation narrative where god creates everything and as god is creating god sits back and calls everything good and uh and then we get in genesis chapter 3 now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the lord god had made and so like (laughs) what is the serpent because the serpent ends up talking to to adam and eve and um so I, I don't know, like some people might say, well, the serpent is the devil, right? And But but by the end of this story, actually, God curses the serpent and says, you'll be made to crawl along the ground on your belly and they'll be, uh, you'll be the enemy of, uh, of Eve's offspring, you know, so, so human beings like won't like snakes, basically. So it seems like the serpent is cursed into being just a regular snake. And so it's sort of strange. Like, so is the serpent the devil? I don't know. Um, in any case, in this passage, the serpent is called a wild animal that God has made. So God created this animal, this serpent, yet um, yet it doesn't start as crawling on the ground. So, so what is that? And and also, Adam and Eve seem to be able, well, at least Eve anyway, can can talk to the serpent and uh, and have a conversation with the serpent, even though the serpent is named as an animal. Um, so the serpent could communicate with Eve. But but we don't really know, like maybe we don't really have any other evidence of in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, whether they're communicating with other animals. Like maybe, maybe they can in the Garden of Eden. I don't know. Um, so we don't actually know, is it just the serpent that they can talk to or is it? Is it all animals? Is that just normal in the Garden of Eden uh, where it's perfect? Uh, so who knows? 
in any case, something that's really strange about this as well is that God made everything good, but it seems like there are some creatures that God made more crafty than others, right? It says the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal. Uh, it seems like there is some potential for deceit, even in the creation, the good creation that God has made. Um, now, if you just want to take this as, you know what, there are there are external forces of temptation. I mean, that's what the serpent's role in the story is. The serpent tempts. And there are external forces of temptation at work in our world and in our lives. There are also internal forces of temptation, things going on inside of us that actually are tempting us in some way. And that seems to be the role that the serpent plays in the story anyway. So anyway, this, this so all that to say, this is a bizarre story with a talking snake or something. Uh, and, and this is what he says. He says to the woman, did God say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, mm, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. Now, something interesting about this is that Eve didn't actually hear this directly from God. So um, at least we don't have a record of that in the Bible. So so she quotes God saying, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. She's quoting God saying, God said this. But Eve actually has only heard this second hand. God actually told this only to Adam before Eve was even created. And so it's kind of interesting that she's hearing it second hand. And it's not that she changes it, but but the thrust of what God said to Adam uh, is is a little bit lost in in her quote of what God had said, right? When when Eve quotes it, it sounds very much like um you know, we may eat of the fruit fruit of the trees in the garden, uh, but God said you shall not eat. It, it sounds very, like, rule-oriented. You may eat of the, these trees, but you cannot eat of that tree in the middle. But, but here's what God actually said, and sort of the spirit of what God said is maybe a little lost or watered down, which happens when we when we have secondhand information. Like, we don't know what Adam, how Adam described this uh this rule to eve um because we don't have that we just have what god said to adam and we we have what eve said to the serpent so but if you go back to genesis chapter 2 so verses 8 and 9 it says this and the lord god planted a garden in eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground the lord god made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in Genesis uh, 2, 16 and 17, it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, this is before Eve is created, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the, knowledge, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it, you shall die. And so what we miss in Eve's translation is the abundance, right? And how God is... The description of it is uh, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Like everything. We have all this abundance that we can choose from that is good and wonderful and life-giving. And the tree of life in the middle of the garden. But also this other tree. 
of the knowledge of good and evil. And then God says, you may freely eat of every tree in the garden. That's a little different than how Eve says it, right? Like Eve says, we may eat of the fruit trees in the garden. Yeah. But God also said, don't eat that one. And as soon as we hear the don't eat from this tree, don't do that one thing, that's the thing we focus on. Like even in the story and in the telling of the story and the hearing of the story, we automatically focus on the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, what is that tree? Uh, like what's going on here? Why is, why is this? Like tell me more about that tree. I don't understand what that one is. And we don't focus on the abundance of the garden that God has given. And much like in our lives, right? Like we we will always go towards well, what's the problem? What is the one thing that that we ought to be avoiding as opposed to looking at the abundance that God has given for us to participate in, right? And so um, it's kind of interesting that we do that as human beings, but it's right there embedded in the story, right? Um, in any case, this also kind of seems like a setup, right? Like God seems to be setting them up for for something, for setting them up for the fall in a way, um, like what, and, and we can't help but wonder, like, what is this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Um, so, so let's just spend a tiny bit of time on that because the thing about Adam and Eve in the garden, they actually already know good. Things are only good. They already know goodness. And now there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, look at it this way, right? There is an abundance of goodness. There are all kinds of good things we could do, all kinds of fruit to eat that all look good. And and that's all there. They already know all of that. But you know what? There's also the fruit that while everything else is good, there's this fruit that looks even tastier. There's earthly fruit that appears as if it will make up for what we think we lack, right? Adam and Eve lacked nothing for a good life, but there is a perceived lack. And that perceived lack is the knowledge that God has. They know good, but God seems to have a knowledge that is beyond that. But you could substitute something else in here for knowledge. It could very easily be power or wealth or anything where we will want more and more and more seeking after the level of God status. That's what we're after. Now, the serpent responds to the woman In verse 4, it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired for making one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Uh, Something really important here. Adam is with Eve the whole time, right? Eve gets a really bad rap for, you know, the one who takes the forbidden fruit and like, you know, makes her husband eat it and all of that. But that's not what happens, right? He's there the whole time listening to this conversation. Yes, she's the one who has the conversation with the serpent. She takes the fruit. She thinks it's good. 
um, she eats it and she gave some to her husband who was with her, right? It wasn't like then she went and found her husband and said, hey, here's this really great fruit. uh, You should eat it. Adam knows exactly what he's doing. He has followed along with the logic. He is in it with his wife. He's not, uh, he's, he's responsible. And what's interesting that though the tradition has often blamed Eve, um, we find in the New Testament, actually, that uh, in Paul's writing, he, he lays the first sin with Adam pretty squarely um, and has this sort of Adam and Christ typology that he does where he says, you know, all, you know, all have sinned through Adam and all are redeemed in Christ. And um, and so the the early traditions laid blame right with Adam. And um, it's interesting that it developed into into saying that, you know what, Eve is kind of the more responsible here. Uh, I think it's probably better to just say, you know what, these two were in it together. And um, and we see that they're in it together, but then what they do is they they end up kind of alienating themselves from one another and from God. But we're, we're going to come to that. Um, so the serpent tricks Eve, I guess, or tempts her. and um, but But he kind of... Um, he kind of isn't totally lying, really, right? He's deceitful without, I mean, he's, they are going to die <laughs> uh, because they, they end up being banished from the garden and they don't have access to the tree of life anymore. Um, but he's actually, the serpent is actually right about their eyes will be opened and, and they will have knowledge um, that they haven't had before. That, that is what happens, right? So that's in verse 7, the very next verse. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So, right, they they have now the knowledge of good and evil. And what's funny is they they were naked the whole time, right? And it wasn't a problem. Like, even if you go back, you find there's a, a little phrase earlier that um, when Eve is created uh, and then Adam and Eve, they, they uh, see that they're naked and they're not ashamed. Um, but now, uh, suddenly, they have uh, some kind of knowledge. There's there's something shameful that has entered the picture, and they look at one another and they're like, "Oh my goodness! Like we need to cover ourselves up." There's no and there's no going back now that shame has entered the picture. Um, they're ashamed somehow, right? This, and this is what happens, right? You you give into temptation, and there's no going back on it. And it's not only that it reveals something that was there the whole time like that that happens right um you were ignorant of yourself before but now you know that part of who you are is someone you are someone who takes the fruit who longs for more than what god has given who will take what you ought to not take who was you're someone who is hoping to get something for yourself, power, knowledge, wealth. You saw that the tree was to be desired for making you wise or powerful or wealthy or whatever it is. And now you are exposed, not just for what you've done, but for who you are. And so the cover-up begins, right? Adam and Eve cannot change what has happened but they do try to cover the shame that they feel. And the thing is, they aren't very good at it, right? 
um, I went to this uh, workshop um, maybe a year ago with uh, a theologian and a biblical scholar named Anna Carter Florence, and she talked about how in a biblical studies class, uh, they were looking at this text and she brought in fig leaves into the class and asked the class to sew the fig leaves together to try to make clothes. And fig leaves are a pretty decent size. You would think they would work pretty well. Um, but actually, um, they they dry out fairly fast. And so a lot of these fig leaves were starting to sort of crumble away. And uh, and at the same time, like the students' hands were getting really itchy. The thing is, like, fig leaves apparently can really itch. <laughs> and so you can imagine, like, the first people hearing this story know this, right? Like, most of us don't, like, try to make clothes out of fig leaves and don't know fig leaves very well. Um, but you can imagine the first people listening to this story, this is, um, this is, this is comedy, right? Like, really, Adam and Eve, like, really, you're making, you're going to make, you're going to make loincloths to cover yourselves up out of fig leaves? No, no, no. Like, they're not very good at it. And the thing is, neither are we when the cover up is on. So verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Right? They covered themselves up, and now they hide. And and the comedy actually continues here, because it's kind of like... Um, well, hold on, we'll come to that in a minute. We'll, kind of, we'll come to this, this, this little point in a minute where it's really funny. Um, because isn't this what we do, right? Like we, we hide ourselves. First, we, we hide ourselves from each other. We, we get alienated from each other. And we hide ourselves from God. And it gets worse for us when we see ourselves for who we truly are, right? Because when we see ourselves for who we truly are, we actually try to hide even more from others and from God, See, this story is actually telling us about who we are and what we do in response to who we are. And then verse 9. Here's, here's actually the funny part. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Right? It's like, <laughs> God knows where they are. Um, it's like playing hide and seek with a toddler. Have you ever done that? Right? <laughs> and you're, you can see them hiding behind, you know, whatever it is. And they're saying, come find me. You know, <laughs> they actually want you to find them as opposed to Adam and Eve. But, but it's kind of like that, right? God knows exactly where they are, but he still calls out to them. Where are you? Like, I know I can see what you're trying to do. Um, it's kind of funny that God is calling out. Where are you? And, uh, and, and, <laughs> The funnier part is in verse 10 is that God calls out to the man, where are you? Like, as in pretending, I don't know where you are. And, and Adam, it's like the hiding is done. He just comes out as like, ah, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So it's not even like he keeps trying to hide. It's just like, ah, I guess you found me. Um, he just blurts out uh, this, this, you know, what, what he was trying to do um, and what they're doing. So he says, yeah, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. But isn't that interesting why Adam says that he hid himself? I was afraid because I was naked. Not I was afraid because I sinned or I was afraid because I broke the rules. 
is he afraid of like is he afraid of god's actually seeing him naked like really no like god's seen that before we've all seen that before um especially god can no he's afraid of god really seeing him right it's like him saying, I was afraid because I was I was exposed. In other words, I saw who I really am, and I'm and now I'm afraid that you're gonna see that. Wow. Wow. And God responds, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, God is like <laughs> It's like dealing with a child, right? Adam's terrified and God is is like dealing with his child, right? And Adam thinks that the problem is God seeing him. But God knows what the real problem is. God cuts to the chase. Who told you you were naked? How? How would you even think about attaching shame to your body? Did you eat from that tree? Our first inclination is to cover up, to hide ourselves. And then when confronted, when exposed by someone else, our inclination is to blame. So our first inclination, cover it up hide ourselves, and then, if we're caught, blame. And so God says, did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And then in verse 12, it says, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me, and I ate. But but, you see what happens here? Adam, what what did you do? Did you eat from the tree? And he says, the woman. He blames his wife. He blames Eve. It's her fault. But actually, he goes even farther, right? He says, the woman whom you gave to be with me. So it's not just Eve's fault, but God, it's your fault. You're the one who gave me this wife. And she's the one who gave me the fruit. And and yeah yeah I, I yeah I ate but it's not really my fault like it's not really my, it's not my fault I, really, I didn't really have any choice. She gave me the fruit, and and you gave me her. Like that's it's kind of your your problem. Adam blames Eve and God, and then Eve, when God says, "What is this that you have done?" She says, "Well, it's the serpent that tricked me, and I ate." Eve blames the serpent. And then what follows after this, right? They, so they both blame. I mean, they're both responsible and they both try to blame other people for it. Then the consequences. I'm sorry, I said blame other people, but Adam also blames God and Eve is kind of blaming, like it's kind of the devil made me do it to defense, right? It's not my fault. Like I got, I got tricked into it. But there's consequences because there's always consequences, right? There's no... And the reason there's consequence, there's no going back to the way it was before we ate the fruit. You can't uneat it. And the consequences that get laid out by God that come kind of in the form of curses, they're actually also a description of the state of things, a description of how things are in the world and some of the brokenness that we experience in the world. And so the woman 
she receives this consequence of, of eating is pain in childbearing, which is, which is horrible, horrible thing to think about. But then this other piece, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. It's interesting to think about that as a curse and a description of the brokenness of the world, right? Later, this is going to be quoted as like, this is how it should be. Um, you know, husbands should rule over their wives or men should rule over women. But here in the original origin story, it's actually a result and a consequence of, of things being messed up and things getting broken and alienating ourselves from one another. And so is it, is it, this is just the way it is or like, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard, but it's actually a description of, of the way of, of, of pain that is experienced in, in common life. Um, so, I mean, the, the original writers of this, it's, it's actually quite brilliant to think about what is it that the, the difficulty that women experience in the world, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. That's wow. That's, that's experienced as a, as a difficulty. Wow. Oh man, that's hard to hear, isn't it? And then the curse for the man might not, might not sound so bad after what Eve receives. His is hard work. Um, actually the ground gets cursed in, in his, it says the ground is now cursed because of you. There will be thorns and thistles and you will have to work really, really, really hard to get the ground to produce any food in order to survive. That might not sound so bad today, um, but it's probably pretty bad when your entire life is depending on food and now from that you're growing yourself out of the ground and now it's gone from being able to just walk in the garden and just pick fruit off the trees. And and yes, the, the man does till the soil in the garden and does, um, you know, care for the garden, but, but it sounds like it was probably pretty easy and kind of pleasurable and enjoyable. And then it becomes now in order to even survive, you're gonna have to work super hard. So those are the those are the consequences. And then the final one is that God kicks them out of the garden and placed uh, cherubim or these sort of heavenly beings, angels, and a and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. So they're kicked out of the garden and there's no way to get back in. But in the middle of dealing out these consequences. There's this little line in verse 21. And says this, And the Lord God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife and clothed them. So, so God gives them, they've tried to make their own clothes out of uh, fig leaves itchy fig leaves, crumbling fig leaves, and God gives them animal skins, animal hides, and clothes them. Right? There's there's no going back to the way it was before. There's no going back to being naked and unashamed. They know good and evil, and they can see it in themselves. 
there is now a built-in inclination to cover up, to hide, and if necessary, blame someone else for the pain that we carry in ourselves. And, and we might be tempted to think, let's just go back to the garden. Let's just by force of our own wills be unashamed, be free, be who we are unapolog- unapologetically, not worry about being exposed. But the thing is, that actually doesn't work. No matter how we might try and think or work our way to that kind of freedom, we are unable to do it. We will always fall in the process. We will always mess up. We will always hide at least a part of ourselves. We will always fear. We will always blame because we're human. But the thing is, God actually has another way for us. God accepts us and even accepts us as fallen. He accommodates to us. He makes better clothes than the fig leaves. And he does even more. This idea of of God clothing us becomes a theme in scripture. This is the first occurrence of that theme. Clothes become transformed from a covering to hide shame into an image of our redemption. This is what God does. God doesn't hide from darkness, suffering, or shame. God redeems it, transforms it. And so we read in Isaiah 61 verse 10, it says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he hath he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Or in Galatians chapter 3 verse 27, as many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Or Colossians 3, the end of this passage is one that shows up at weddings all the time because of its incredible beauty and its focus on love. But it starts like this. Listen to this. Do not lie to one another. This is starting at verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, what should we do? Is it blame them? No. Says it's, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then this image of God clothing us, or us being clothed, reaches its pinnacle and conclusion and climax in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, the very last book. 
So in Revelation 6, John is, is having this incredible vision. And he wrote this, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and, and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And when it talks about the Lamb, right, it's talking about Jesus, right? That's, that's talking about Jesus there. And then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these robed in white and where have they come from? And I said to them, Sir, you're, you're the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Which, which is kind of a weird phrase. But, it, but it's kind of the same idea as they have clothed themselves in Christ. right? Their clothes are pure because they have been made that way through the death of Jesus. That's when he's talking about the blood of the lamb, the death of Jesus. That's what it's talking about. Through what Jesus has done for them by laying down his life for theirs, they are now clothed in that. This is what God does. God brings life from death. God transforms despair into hope. God meets the shame head on conquers it and then clothes his people in Christ, the one who defeated it all. God creates a new and beautiful identity for us rather than simply saying, yeah, let's just go back to the way it was. God acknowledges that that's not going to happen instead says here put this on he clothes us in his grace in this new identity in Christ Jesus and then the last thing listen to this very last chapter of the Bible Revelation 22 verse 14 says this, blessed are those who wash their robes, what they're wearing. <laughs> blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life. Oh, that is so good, isn't it? From Genesis 3. Losing access to the tree of life. And then being clothed in, in Christ and getting, getting, not going back to the garden, but, but having the right to the tree of life again, all the way in Revelation 22. Oh, so good, isn't it? So I hope you found this one uh, a little bit of fun, but also helpful, meaningful for your life and what it means to be clothed in a new identity that's given by God that we don't need to cover up or hide, um, but can receive the, uh, this identity that God gives us in Christ. Uh, yeah. So if you would like to reach out to me, you're welcome to do that. You can always email me matt at mattbruff.com, uh, or just head over to the website spiritualityforordinarypeople.com and you can find all the back episodes there as well. 
uh, or be great if you'd be willing to leave a review on iTunes. I would just love that. And it also helps the episodes and the podcast become more visible so that others can find them. Uh, So yeah, uh, thanks for listening today. And I'll be back with another episode soon. Take care.